Excelsior! Welcome to Cinema Excelsior. Uh, today we're going to be discussing Captain America, the first Avenger, and our uh, all-star panel of uh, discussers today. <laughs> yeah, it's a scientific term. Uh, uh, going from digital left to digital right, uh, we have Mr. Daniel Watson-Jones. I won't be discussing, I will just be disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be playing the part today of uh, Mr. Dum Dum Duggan. So find yourself a bowler hat, or some a bag of Dum Dums, or a bag of Dum Dums. Yeah. Or the over under the. Yep. Where is, is that? Rutherford B. Hayes. Is that that? Uh, Where is my Chester, fake a. Chester A. Arthur. Chester A. Arthur. Chester A. Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you, Bester, when you were growing out like your beard. Um, like in all of its fullness a while back, I thought you looked like a young Chester A. Arthur. <laughs> I can think of worse things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll be back with more beard commentary for our listening audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so to... Hey, 60% of this panel is bearded. We're going to talk about it. That's true. Uh, to do just digital right, uh, we have Derek Long. Hi, everyone. I don't know about you guys, but I am ready to punch Hitler in the, in face. the face. That guy deserves it. And as always, kill Hitler. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Derek, that's ironic, because today you're playing the part of Hitler. Oh, no. Um, Derek, in, oh, Derek is on. playing the part of Montgomery Fallsworth, another howling commando. <laughs> Guess, which, right. here. Guess which one he was. Take it for Lambo. Damn! Is this a English one, right? Yes, he's the English one. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, Nick Monty. Be- yep, Monty. Uh, Nick mm-hmm. Bester, I'm going to... Uh, I-, I was going... Well, you can have your pick, and then the uh, the one that you do not choose will uh, default to the other. Uh, would you rather be uh, Bucky Barnes or Peggy Carter? Oh shit! That's Ooh. a hard one. Like as soon as, as you said Buggy Barnes, I'm like, well, that that's no contest. And then he gave yeah. me Peggy Carter. I got to be Peggy Carter. Mm. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Such a best to stand, but come on. Mm-hmm. Well, then that leaves uh, that leaves Patrick Patrick Regan. <laughs> Say hello. Hi. I too have been frozen for a long time recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why you're playing Jacques Dernier. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll be Bucky Barnes. I'm Stephen Claypool. Ooh, it looks like Derek may have dropped off. Well, he can join in when he joins. You, you sounded really excited when you said that. Ooh, it looks like Derek. Like, that ooh, son of a bitch isn't here anymore. Thank God. Ooh, one of our special guests may have left the studio forever today. <laughs> Hopefully not forever. Yeah. I'll, have to film a, I'll have to film a gay porno. Yes, it's that Derek Log, everybody. <laughs> uh, Derek, can you hear us? I can hear you guys. Can you hear me? We yes. can hear you now, yes. but you're still losing. Right. Frozen. Yeah, I can't see you, uh, but I can hear you. Ed okay. Bagley communicate with you. Ed Bagley communicate uh, with us? <laughs> Bagley Sr. or Junior? I think he's gone. Well, senior's oh, gone, but Junior's still, still with us. us. If you can still hear us. Send us, uh, in a letter form, how to get in contact with Ed Bagley Jr. 
Derek, Derek, if you can hear us, tap twice on the table. Dude, what yeah. are you doing with your hair? <laughs> Knock twice for yes. I am clearly styling myself as that uh, of... It, it, I have no words right now. I'm an anime character. Okay. <laughs> my brain has seeped up into my hair, apparently. Now, this is what happens when I don't wash it for a day. I can Ew, brain hair. <laughs> Derek has returned! <laughs> to make fun of brain hair! Brain hair. The hair that grows out of your brain. So today we're talking about Captain America the First Avenger, uh, which does not feature brain hair, although there is some really good-looking hair in this film, I do have to say. Yes. Um... Yes, yes, the uh, ca- cast of characters, uh, Chris Evans, Haley Atwell. Um, I, I was going to say Dominic, or I was I needed to say Dominic Cooper, but I almost just said John Slattery, reflexively. <laughs> yep. Um, they they trade that one off like it's a baton. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Hugo Weaving, giving a very subtle performance. <laughs> As he is wont to do. Tommy yeah. Lee Jones giving an equally subtle performance of yelling. Welcome to the Riven <laughs> yeah. Hill, Mr. Atkinson. Tommy Lee Jones giving the most Tommy Lee Jones, like, yeah. not giving a shit performance. Yeah. In the script, <laughs> when they introduce the colonel, uh, it is written in parentheses, played by a Tommy Lee Jones type. <laughs> um... Let's well, see. then, good work casting people. Yeah. Stanley Tucci and oh, Haley Atwell and Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan. Yep. Actually, if it calls, for, Tommy Oswald. Jones, if it yeah. calls for a Tommy Lee Jones type, technically Tommy Lee Jones is the, the only one who does not does not fit that. Sure. They're looking for someone like him. If you're stretching it. Are, yeah. you, are you claiming that, that people are not like themselves? Uh, hmm. Aren't I the most like Nick Vester of anyone in the world? I guess, but there's no one... I would never refer to Tommy Lee Jones himself as a Tommy Lee Jones type. He's the only person who I would never say is like Tommy Lee Jones. Mm. Well, I think I think you should start saying that. He's very offended by the fact that you don't think that Tommy Lee Jones is like Tommy Lee Jones. I don't think he has any opinion on my opinion of him. I think we should Guys, put anyway, this one in the parking lot. All, all of We've really gone off the radio. We have... Is there is a non-insignificant chance one of them is Tommy Lee Jones. Every <laughs> every second we continue to talk about Tommy Lee Jones is a second where we could have been talking about Neil McDonough. That's true. I don't know. Who, I, I, I have a lot of thoughts on Neil McDonough. I'm, I'm working on like a general theory of Neil McDonough uh, <laughs> that I want to give like a, a sneak preview of a little later. Um, All right. But uh, I think we should begin just with a, uh, a quick recap of the plot, such as it is, of this film. Uh, feel free to interject any time with helpful commentary. Helpful yes. commentary. <laughs> I'm just saying Tommy Lee Jones is a lot like Tommy Lee Jones. We, yeah. <laughs> we begin in the Arctic, where there is some kind of ship that's crashed and been found. Cut to 1942. Hold um, on a second. Oh, the the first scene, would you describe this as a prologue, even though it takes place after the rest of the film? I would describe it as a framing narrative. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's a frame story. And then, so then the second scene is the prologue. Which yeah. the... You know, that, that actually is Not everything has a no, prologue. I would describe it as... I would describe that just as the... the is it going in? Like, the, the movies that I... The Marvel movies that have prologues, I would say, are, like, mostly the Thor movies, because those usually start with them flashing way back. Mm. To some time beyond time. Yeah. Or Guardians of the Galaxy has a prologue. Time before time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, with the dinosaurs. 
I definitely thought you said the four films. Iron Man and, 3 and is re- You were referring to the Fantastic Four films, and I did not understand what time before time they would be going back to. But then I caught up. You know, a young, a young Galactus just hanging out, sort of figuring out what he's all about before he gets to, before he really What is he rebelling in their planet devouring? You know, he backpacks around the universe, really gets a feel for it. Decides to eat it. Yeah. That is already better than any Fantastic Four film. So I know. As, as much as I hate their version of Galactus, I particularly like the idea of Giant Cloud Galactus backpacking. <laughs> He goes waltzing Matilda. So yeah. any, so anyway, um, thanks for the Tom Waits reference. Useful interjections. Anyway, yeah. Uh, we, we cut to Norway, where uh, Nazi officer Johan Schmidt uh, has arrived to, hold, uh, to threaten Walter Frey and steal a glowing blue cube. Wait a uh, minute, I thought that was Elrond. Isn't, isn't that, is, this is Norway, that's Elrond, right? No, 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 uh, Rivendell <laughs> is in Sweden. Oh, okay. My yeah. bad. Yeah. Get your Scandinavia right. Yeah. This, this is his non-union Norway counterpart, Norwegian <laughs> counterpart. Yeah, yeah. It's Hugo Weaver. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so Hugo Weaver, uh, he comes in, he finds the, glow, <laughs> the glowing cosmic cube. Isn't it weaving? It is weaving, yes. But, it, yes, well, but... <laughs> he's weaving in Sweden. He's weaver uh, when, when he's, he's weavering like... in Sweden, yeah. in Norway, yeah, in Norway. You go weavering in Norway. Yeah. yeah, he comes in with his tank and he kills Walter Frey and he steals this glowing uh, cosmic cube, uh, and he does it in a way that really, really establishes the tone of performance that Hugo Weaving is going to be giving throughout this entire film. Uh, which I think could best be described as broad. <laughs> My, I, I think the only uh, explanation for that that is worth giving uh, is the true fact, and it's true because I read it on Wikipedia, mm. that, he took, that he was interested in the role and took it because he hadn't played a character where he needed to do a German accent yet. <laughs> <laughs> he really wanted it. I think that, uh, that makes sense. Uh, I... I uh... Who was it? What's the name of the guy who plays Trevor in uh, Iron Man 3? Ben Kingsley. Ben yeah. Kingsley agreed to be in Blood Rain because he wanted to play a vampire. I've heard that. That was the other reason. It's like, you know what would be fun to play? A vampire. I'll be in this terrible movie. I always wondered why he was in that. <laughs> because he was like, you know what? A vampire would be fun to play. Ben Kingsley is, is like secretly... Ben Kingsley has this very powerful inner 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And he's admitted that sometimes he just does stuff because, like, he's like, well, I always wanted to play a vampire. Well, I've like, never played this race before. <laughs> yeah, I feel um, like I feel like once once you're Ben Kingsley level, you can do whatever the fuck you want. So, um, Hugo Weaver steals the cosmic square <laughs> and takes it somewhere. Uh, meanwhile, cut to Brooklyn, where uh, a scrawny young fellow uh, with Chris Evans' head attached to him is trying to enroll in the army and he can't get past the uh, past the admissions officer because uh, his asthma alone would disqualify him to say nothing of his other horrible crippling uh, conditions dude you look like you have something to say or are you just chewing uh, well I was chewing but I also had something to say um, I don't worry I muted it um, I was actually really impressed with the special effects through this uh, there were only one or two scenes where it like looked really odd to me. Mm. Uh, mostly, 
I felt like the blend was was pretty solid uh, for his head on body. They spent a lot of time on making sure that was right. I think because, I think this is something the director has basically said, that the reason that you spend so much time with Skinny Steve early in that movie is that you have to believe that he is this guy at his core. Otherwise, like, literally nothing else about the character, up to and including... Civil War makes sense. Like he have to yeah. believe this was who he used to be. In the same way that... that in the other Captain America movie we saw, we had to spend so much time with him being a very hunky guy who limped slightly, so that we could believe <laughs> that he wants out of limp. Uh, I mean, and he just has a van that. that he drives around in. Yeah. I I had a uh, uh, question about something that happens later in the film, but the, uh, Patrick, your phrasing just gave me an answer to it. Uh, I will come back to that when we get there. Good. It's okay. during the experiment, post-experiment. Amazing. So we, we go, uh, Steve tries to sign up. He ends up being rejected and then beaten up in an alley after telling a thug in a movie theater to pipe down. Um, but he's saved, by, the <laughs> uh. he's saved by his best friend, uh, Sebastian Stan, as oh. the amazingly named James Buchanan Barnes. Because when, pi- when picking out a president to name your kid after, you pick <laughs> James Buchanan. <laughs> Maybe it's a Buchanan. Buchanan. Maybe he's a descendant of James Buchanan. Yeah, we don't know that. I had, uh, I had like a great uncle somewhere back in the chain. Uh, that was named Millard Fillmore McComas. And it just boggled the, it, yeah, it boggled the mind that Millard Fillmore was the president that uh, my ancestors chose to name their kid. I mean, I feel like, I mean, Millard Fillmore is a pretty, like, middle-of-the-road, unexceptional president, whereas I'm pretty sure James Buchanan is pretty ro- widely regarded as one of, if not the worst president ever. Yeah. Like, has- Millard Fillmore is, like, odd, but not, like, why'd you name him after him? Um, does anyone know anything about Millard Fillmore before he became president? Because what if he were an absolute badass in his personal life? But then totally, there could be a whole very president Fillmore that we just don't know about. There, there was a point when I had got it into my head that I and I'm I'm still like working my way through this way through this, but I'm going to read at least one biography of mm-hmm. every president, mm-hmm. and I was going through just like trying to map out. Okay, what are what are the biographies the best ones? of? Yeah. And when I would get to presidents like Millard Fillmore or John Tyler, there there would be like one biography and it would clearly be part of a series of biographies that were explicitly written so obscure presidents could have biographies. (laughs) I'm always, I'm always amazed because someone out there, someone out there is like the world's biggest Millard Fillmore expert. This is what they've dedicated their academic life to being. This is, they, they teach like a survey course on the history of Millard Fillmore. Yeah. And that's fascinating. I also feel like this is a good time to uh, to pump my uh, my series, uh, Fillmore and Pierce: The Erotic Adventures of, uh, of Presidents in Time. Yep. So uh, James Buchanan Barnes uh, rescues his little buddy Steve. Hooks just, him. Just for the listeners out there, uh, can we clarify, Mr. Bester, whether that actually does exist or not? <laughs> it exists as a thing that I've talked about in the past. Okay. All right. Yeah. They have um, the two most uh, most sexual names of presidents, and they're right next to each other. Fillmore and Pierce. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Bucky Barnes uh, hooks up his buddy Steve on a date with Clara from Doctor Who, and they go watch uh, that guy who's going to start... Sure she's Bucky's date. Uh, maybe. Um, they go to watch an expo uh, that looks shockingly similar to that expo we saw in Iron Man 2. 
Uh, and hey, yeah, uh, the person who is sponsoring and presenting at this expo and presenting flying repulsor technology is that guy who plays Preacher on the new Preacher series, a.k.a. Tony Stark's dad. Um, Steve, Howie Stark. Howie Stark, yep. <laughs> he voiced Gizmo in uh, Gremlins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steve decides that rather than spending his evening with uh, Jenna Coleman, he would rather go off and try to get himself killed in World War II again. Uh, God's priorities <laughs> right there, that guy. <laughs> and th- this time, uh, his uh, argument with Bucky about enlisting is overheard by a German doctor. Um, played by an book. Italian man. Played by an Italian man. Uh, but don't worry, he's one of them good Germans. Um Yes, he is. Yep. Uh, who? Queen. Oh, Matt yeah. Damon? Yeah, Matt. The only good German is a dead German. Anyway, uh, he's Dr. Erskine. He offers uh, offers Steve a chance to prove his worth, and Steve is whisked off to basic training, where he meets uh, Peggy Carter, who beats who beats up the, uh, the bullying soldier named Gilmore Hodge, <laughs> which is an amazing bit of naming. Uh, and then we, we we meet Tommy Lee Jones uh, giving his Tommy Lee Jones performance as well as the commanding officer on the base. Dang it, I was wrong. It was George Clooney. I misremembered who was in the good German. Sorry, Stefan, you were talking about what we're talking about. <laughs> talking about David. Yeah. <laughs> um, For your listeners at home, Dooge has not gotten a lot of sleep lately. No. So ultimately, and apparently remembers the good German. Yeah. It had a good poster. It looked like Casablanca's poster. It was not as good as Casablanca. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, Steve gets put through some basic training and uh, is selected to take part in an experiment. Um, that, dun, dun, dun! Yep. Uh, and then there, there is kind of a classic mentor scene where Dr. Erskine sits down and tells Steve that the reason he was chosen is not because he's strong, uh, but because he has been a weak man who knows the value of strength and that it is important for him to remain a good man no matter what happens. Uh, the next day, Steve gets plugged into a machine and shot up with some blue chemicals that turn him into Chris Evans. <laughs> Master, thoughts? Yes, it does. He's a total dreamboat. And... <laughs> He's your favorite of the hey. Marvel Chris's, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, I still, I'm still mad about Crim's Hemsworth being uh, sexiest man alive. He's the least sexy of the Marvel Chris's. What the fuck is people thinking? Ugh. Ugh. Peggy, Peggy, the first thing she does is try and touch him, which is totally understandable because if you're in front of you know recently transformed Chris Evans, you're obviously going to try and touch the merchandise. Indeed. And then Trinity strikes while she's grouping him. Yep. Uh, oh, dude dropped off. I hope he's back. Um, yeah, uh, speaking of that tragedy, uh, Thorin Oakenshield is there, and uh, he ends oh, up... Oh, shit! That's yeah. him? That was Richard Armitage, yeah. Yeah. I did not, I did not notice that. Yeah, it's uh, the great red dragon himself. The yeah. Dude. So, now that you mentioned, I'm like, oh yeah, that is who it was. That's why he got that whole a... extended set piece rather than just like getting one in the head. Yeah, this, this he movie wasn't... really does seem to love like using people who would later go on to do major things. There's in, a like, lot of there's Because oh, yeah, yeah. Amelia Clark's going to show up later, by the way. Let's not forget about that. Natalie Dormer. 
Mm-hmm. Amelia Clark's in this? I'm sorry, I just remembered it's Natalie Dormer, not Natalie Okay, uh, I was like, how many, uh, how many Game of Thrones people could there be? Yeah. But yes, the, the smirking whore from High Garden does show up later. <laughs> I would not be shocked to hear that if you... <laughs> Oh god! I hope she has. I hope that's her epitaph one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Erskine's killed. Uh, Steve Rogers tracks down uh, Richard Armitage, uh, who ends up killing himself with a cyanide tooth that really weirds me out when he pops it out. Mm. Um, all of the super soldier formula was destroyed, and now Cap is a uh, a freak show, a lab experiment gone wrong. You- just to interject here, you left out the best part that the chase ends with Captain America punching out a submarine. That's <laughs> yeah. how he captures <laughs> Thor and Oakenshield, by punching out the window of a submarine. Yes. It's true. Actually, my, my, favorite, part, my favorite part of that, uh, of that whole sequence is uh, when, uh, the, when Richard Armitage uh, ostensibly is going to take this kid hostage, and then he throws him in... <laughs> he throws him off of Pier 13... And uh, and the kid's like, go get him! I can swim. <laughs> yes, there's some great like minor bit parts happening here. There's also a great part earlier in the chase sequence when uh, like Richard Armitage abandons his car, and this guy looks into the car, and in the most broken accent goes, "Hey, this guy's been shot." <laughs> <laughs> All right, people, remember it's the 1940s. <laughs> um. Yeah, so Cap is not allowed to go into combat, so he does the next best thing. He goes Four into reasons. yeah, mostly because Tommy yeah, t- Tommy Lee Jones uh, is not yet convinced. <laughs> now, keep in mind, Captain America just punched out a submarine, but Tommy Lee yeah, Jones yeah. isn't convinced yet. In I mean, it's, it's yep. not just not convinced. I think it's also the idea is supposed to be that. You know, it's one if he if the if their one super soldier gets shot on the front line. Yeah, it's not going to work. Exactly, well. a great message. Um, but uh, so Steve instead is shuffled into a USO show uh, and participates in what actually still might be my favorite scene in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a strong argument. An amazing song and dance number. I think it's the best sequence in the film, and it's one of the best sequences in any Marvel film. It's so far, I, I really love the uh, like storming the Hydra bases montage later as well. But this is definitely this is a great fucking sequence. Yeah, and just kind of perfectly on point in terms of the tone. It has him punching Hitler, which I would have been very upset if this film didn't have. Uh, it, it's just well, a, not actually Hitler. You should clarify for listeners who may not have yeah, seen Yeah, punch, punching Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> um, Why would anyone listen to this podcast if they have not seen this film? There's 42 of them. Who knows? Yeah, fair enough. They could have 42 Some of them just want to hear our opinions on Tommy Lee Jones. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so, some want to know what Richard Armitage has been up to. <laughs> uh, what, what he was doing four years ago. Yeah. Uh, me- meanwhile, we are back at, uh, or, yeah, we are back at, uh, Hugo Weaver's base in the Alps, <laughs> his secret Hydra base, uh, where he and his, uh, creepy little scientist dude, uh, played by Toby, Toby Jones, Joe. 
the amazing Toby Jones. He, he's pretty much amazing in anything he chooses to be in, and I always feel very thankful when he's decided to be in a movie for us. I loved um, in... I'm not a huge fan of the Hunger Games films, but I loved in the first Hunger Games when, like, Stanley Tucci is the comp, one of uh, one of the commentators, and he's very sort of big and broad and has this big bit part. And Toby Jones is his like color commentary partner on the Hunger Games, and he has maybe two lines in the film, so his m- entire part basically is sitting next to Stanley Tucci with a ridiculous haircut, mugging for the camera. And it's amazing. <laughs> I, and I bet I bet he does it. I he bet kills he sells it. the hell he out kills of that part. Oh, God, yes. It's been a while since yeah. I've seen those movies. I forgot he was in them. So we, we have uh, this scene in the Alps. Uh, Toby Jones is harnessed to the power of the gods for Hugo Weaver. Um, and then some, <laughs> some Nazis show up. And I find it funny that the Nazis are kind of played almost for laughs um like they're they're very broadly german and they don't really do anything except be silly germans and then get blown up and we're treated to hugo weaver dropping out of the nazi party and his hydra men giving an amazing two-fisted salute (laughs) which will later be played for magnificent effect in agents of shield yes yes I particularly like the uh, the German guy's note of alarm. Uh, Berlin's on this map. Berlin is on this map. You know, it's it's funny. I think of this one as of all the Marvel movies, this is like easily the broadest of all of them, and I often mm-hmm. think that's intentional oh, yeah. because mm-hmm. you know this is the directors. This is not this is the Russo brothers. They wouldn't come in until later. Like this is um I'm sure I'm, I'm blanking his name. Joe Johnson. He did the Rocketeer, and I think the. Even compared to the stuff that it was coming out at the time, I think they were really trying to kind of make this feel like it's almost like this isn't actually what happened. This is the movie that Tony Stark grew up watching about what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting know, across that kind of like classical Hollywood, you know, '40s war movie yeah. vibe. Where Joe Johnson was a brilliant decision to direct this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so much the tone of the Rocketeer. I think this movie is perhaps a bit more successful at it than The Rocketeer is. Another another film full of just like broad but also awesome performances. Yeah, does does anyone have any thoughts on The Rocketeer while we're here? (laughs) I saw that in the theater and probably not since then. I've seen it many, many times. Timothy Dalton's death is pretty fucking spectacular in that movie. (laughs) Everything. Timothy Dalton Dalton is dead? Everything Timothy in that Dalton movie does he in that is. movie is amazing. He fucking destroyed well, the land in Hollywood you land. You understand that in Penny Dreadful, he actually is a vampire. And mm. as a human, no, Timothy Dalton, not the character he's playing. Timothy Dalton himself is a vampire, so he can only shoot at night. It's actually a big problem. He's very talented. He's very talented. Yeah, I didn't even notice that all of his scenes were at night in uh, Hot Fuzz. He's just that good an actor. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, that's also why he's not a lot. He never has any mirrors in the scene with him. Yep. You never see him eating garlic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they mentioned it. That's true. Yep. Unlike all the other James Bonds who are just constantly just chowing yeah. down. Yeah. Well, you also like notice that anytime in a scene when rice is thrown in front of him, Timothy Dalton's characters always have to count it. I always thought that was an odd choice, but it makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. 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 I think it may. Yeah. It, it makes more sense when he, he doesn't play, like, European vampires, but when he plays, like, the Jiangxi hopping vampires. Um, I mean, nice, there's still nice. some talk about whether that's whitewashing or not, but... <laughs> <laughs> Those are just traditional Chinese vampires, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Chinese vampire zombie sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I just don't understand why we can't get a Chinese vampire actor. To yeah. Play yeah, when was the last time Chow Young Fat played a Chinese vampire? Yeah. Chow Young Fat's not a vampire. He is a spirit come to bless all of us. Anyway. Uh, Bloody Chief was the vampire. Yeah. Where were Whatever we? Sam O Hung. <laughs> Sam Hung, that's what I meant. I don't come up with Sunny Chiba, but he's not even Chinese. Sam Hung is what I meant. Hey. Whatever happened to Sam Hung is the title of my easy listening rock album. <laughs> it's like that local H al- album, uh, Whatever Happened to PJ Souls. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've gotten off track somehow. Yeah, any- anyway, what so. What are you talking about? Isn't this my local H podcast? <laughs> We've finally gotten around to the topic of the podcast. Let's <laughs> so, talk about so it. So Steve Rogers goes <laughs> off to uh, to Europe to entertain them, their troops who hate him. Um, and he ends up finding out that, oh no, uh, Bucky Barnes has gone missing behind enemy lines. And there's no rescue mission planned for him because uh, it'd be too dangerous and they'd lose too many men. So Steve goes in as one oh. man gets dropped out of the sky by... Uh, by uh, Howard Stark and Peggy Carter. He was there for some reason. Yeah. I didn't think about how that event in his life uh, affects his character decisions in uh, Captain America 3, Civil War. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of Captain America can be drawn back to his friendship with Bucky Barnes, and that's actually yeah. something I'm really looking forward to talking about, because if, mean, this, if this movie did one major change to the comics... It's that Bucky got aged up, and I think that changes so much. Yeah, the, the the relationship dynamic that the two of them have is very different. I mean, who among us would not crawl across glass for Sebastian Stan? Come on. Come on. I've never read the Captain America comics. Is it as different as the relationship between uh, Paris and uh, Achilles in Troy. Uh, in Troy, rather than in the, uh, the Iliad? That's well, your I mean, comparison? <laughs> I mean, he's essentially he's the child sidekick originally, right? He's like the yeah. Robin to yeah. he's Robin to, in the com- uh, comics. Yeah. Like, so it's like he's like he's literally supposed to be like eight years younger than Steve or something like that, as opposed to Steve's youthful protector. Right. Oh, yeah. sorry, not Paris and Achilles, but Achilles and that guy who's his cousin in the movie, but was his lover in the original Iliad. Talking, That's the comparison I was trying to are make. Are you talking about Troy? The, like the Brad Pitt movie, Troy? Yes, the Brad Pitt film, <laughs> Troy. I said in I've Troy never... as opposed to the Iliad. I've never I mean, seen Troy. Oh, as of wow. Civil War, I can count, let me see, one, two, three, four, five different people who just seem to get it, want to get it on with Steve. So if you want to make a sexual comparison between him and Bucky, I'll totally buy that. So okay. anyway, um, <laughs> he go, goes in to break out Bucky. He finds the other Howling Commandos, uh, including Neil McDonough as Dum Dum Dug. Doing, doing just great stuff. Yep. Uh, of Ravenous. Can I introduce my greater th- uh, general theory of Neil McDonough now, or do I need to wait? Please do. Yep. Wait, Let's wasn't do Guy it. Pierce in Ravenous? Guy Pierce was in hmm? Ravenous, yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. Neil McDonough the other guy? The Robert Carlyle the... was the other guy. But the Neil McDonough is like the... The guy that Guy Pierce eats the okay. first time, right? Isn't okay. Like, I don't remember. It's been a long time since I watched sure that. Neil McDonough's in Ravenous. So this gets to my general theory of Neil McDonough, though. Okay. Uh, Neil McDonough. So there is a concept in baseball uh, called the quadruple A player, and the quadruple <laughs> A player is the the baseball player who is too good of a player to ever be in the minor yeah, leagues for all, because teams want him. But he okay. is also not good enough of a player to ever really stick on any one major league team. So he bounces around teams. Sometimes he goes to Japan. 
I think Neil McDonough is the quadruple A actor. And the reason is this. When Neil McDonough appears in a film, he needs to be playing kind of a character part or a supporting role. If you cast Neil McDonough as a lead in a major film, it, it, feel, it feels so shallow and cheap. On the other hand, when Neil McDonough shows up on a television show, it's a big fucking deal. Like when he showed up, spoiler alert, when he showed up at the end of Terriers and was in like one scene, it was an enormous deal because it's Neil McDonough. Uh, yeah, he was a, a pretty big like character a, on Justified, as I recall. And in Arrow now. Like, he's like a super oh, yeah. character actor. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's, that's, that has a, I, I think that also has a lot. It's the eyes. Very, very brief. You know, first of all, he has amazing eyes. Let's like be it's very... Steely blue eyes. eyes. You get lost in them. I think that also has a lot to do with the fact that there just aren't really movie stars anymore. Because I think that I think in another world he would be a, he would just be a plain character actor. But because of the way TV works these days, and because when Neil wants to turn it on, he can be like the greatest supporting actor who has ever walked the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. That he he has this like amazing career where it's sort of like the greatest supporting character ever is here. Everyone pay goddamn attention. Yeah. But he's never going to be the kind of person who opens up a movie. Um. But I also don't think anyone there's anyone who really opens up movies anymore. But that's a whole other rant I have. Yeah, so the general theory of Neil McDonough. He, he is the quadruple-A actor. He's too big yes. for television. He's too small to carry his own film, uh, but a valuable contributor nonetheless. Ironically, he is in Ravenous. Buscemi-like. Do you say Buscemi-like? Yeah, he's kind of Buscemi-like in that respect. That's a, that's a fair comparison, although much handsomer than Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I mean, think I I think no one is more handsome like, people... than Steve Buscemi. You take that back. I think, like in the like in the '90s, people sort of caught on to Steve Buscemi, so that he sort of has like a cult around him. Where I don't mm. think there's like people are not going to be as excited about uh, about Neil McDonough in the same kind of yeah, way. Like, like, like Steve Buscemi, Steve Buscemi could. I'm I'm assuming at some point he has hosted SNL. If he's not, he's certainly at that level where he could host SNL. Neil McDonough is never fucking hosting SNL. Yeah, he had all those my, followers in Oregon that killed themselves. My the first exposure to Neil McDonough was uh, as the lieutenant who gets Borgified in Star Trek First Contact. He is and that guy. From that moment on, I noticed him in everything he appeared in. Yep. I may have even seen something with Neil McDonough prior to 1996. Never noticed him. Yep. Yeah. Adam Scott's I, also in that. I yes. had seen him in a lot of things, but I don't think I even... Like had realized I knew his name until I saw him in a comedy club in L.A. and I was like, I recognize that guy from something. And then so, I remembered who it was. Then you looked it up and, and realized you had seen him in dozens of movies. Yes, I have two pieces of Neil McDonough related trivia for oh, you. Please tell. Well, we are we are the Neil McDonough podcast, so <laughs> please tell. The first is that he has five children. Okay. Really? All right. Yeah. The are they second, all named Neil? I don't like George Corbett. Or are they all named George Foreman? <laughs> Couldn't tell you. The second thing is that many moons ago, uh, in in the nineties, you're one of his the, children. No, um, he was the voice of Bruce Banner in the Incredible Hulk animated series in '96. Oh, oh. Right, I can see that. For some reason, when you said many moons ago, I flash back to uh, X-Men Wolverine Origins and, like, that whole, like, bullshit Native American myth about the Wolverine. I thought you were going to say he's a werewolf. (laughs) I can also tell you, by the way, he is also, he has played M. Bison. He voiced Green Arrow, actually, at one point before Arrow was even a thing. And also has played Deadshot. 
And he was so good in Band of Brothers. Yes. I'm pretty sure God one of us was, was in Band of Brothers. He was the Tin Man in uh, Tin Man. That, that weird oh, song. Yeah. I forgot about that. I forgot what? about Tin Man. Look, we should all just open up uh, his IMDb, IMDb page and for an hour just go, oh shit, he was in that. He's the <laughs> voice he is the voice of the Flash and Damian Wayne Nightwing, the Damian Wayne Nightwing in the Injustice Gods Among Us fighting game, tell which, me, for the record, is the greatest superhero fighting game that's ever been made. Tell, tell me you're just pulling Those these. Are... Tell me that you're not on his IMDb page right now. Of course not. I'm on his Wikipedia page. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, that's a, that's a mighty okay. big claim there about uh, Gods Among Us, though. Uh, th- he there's... was in an episode of Murphy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Murphy Brown. <laughs> Okay, we we gotta move on. We could fall down the Neil McDonough hole for hours. Or the Murphy Brown hole. You started it. Ah! Murphy Brown hole. You and your you and your unified theories of Neil McDonough. So oh, anyway, let me, you, let me tell you about my unified theory of Candace Bergen. No, moving on. <laughs> is, is Charlie McCarthy here? Does Does anyone see Charlie McCarthy? <laughs> Steve rest- radio star depression right now. Yeah, so Steve goes in to rescue uh, the Howling Commandos, and he rescues oh God, Bucky. Yeah, and he has his first face-to-face encounter with uh, with Hugo Weaver, who was the first failed experiment of uh, of uh, how to curve. make a super weaver out of a normal weaver. Abraham <laughs> well, it's not really failed experiment. Like he stole, he like stole the serum at gunpoint before it was ready. Yeah, yeah. It's not like and, it's not like kindly Italian German man was like, "Hey, Hugo Weaving, let's pump you full of chemicals." And, and I'm sure, I'm sure he would argue that he was not a failure. He thinks he's fine. Yeah, and, and yes, we, he's we been wearing he... a mask for the entire movie up to up to this point for some reason, and no longer will be wearing a mask after it's, this point it's for some a weird reason. Thing where like character wise, there's no good reason for him to wear the mask because he doesn't really seem to give a crap. On the other hand, it does produce this amazing visual effect where he's constantly, like, where it's constantly, like, slipping and we'll see him adjust it. Mm -hmm. And, and, like, the the pull-off is really effective. Mm. But, like, I just remember watching it this time going, now, now, why was he wearing the mask you say that he pulls off the pull-off? He does. He does pull off the pull-off. I mean, really, the the thing about this movie, like I said, is that really it, it helps to look at it as this is just it's all very broad. Yeah. Like you oh, know, yeah. Steve, Steve and Bucky, and like there's kind of like these core characters who are playing much more complex characters, and it's the ones who they know will probably go on to be in more more stuff. So you know, uh, Steve, Bucky, um, Peggy. Uh, Peggy. I wonder and if wow. they knew that. Peggy was going to go on to be in that much more of them. And she seemed to kind of take on a life of her own after the film. Peggy, you know what? I'll give you that. I think Peggy, I'm willing, I'd be willing to be, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that Peggy, they just sort of were like, holy crap, everyone loves Peggy. Who doesn't Um, love Peggy? I will fight anyone who doesn't love Peggy. But like, I'm pretty sure they plan on using Howard later because, you know, they they had flashbacks planned with that. Um, And they, you're fooling yourself if if you think they didn't know damn well that Bucky was going to become the Winter Soldier. Yeah. It's oh, all. They're absolutely fun in that. It's all set yeah. up in there. Um, but yeah, like uh, Red Skull gets to be pretty broad. Tommy Lee Jones gets to be pretty broad. It contributes F2. to that sort of tone. The Empress Military. I mean, it feels very much like the the cliche image that I have of Captain America comics, having never read any of the original ones. <laughs> it, the, the movie feels like very straightforward, patriotic kind of uh, pr- 
propaganda-ish. Yeah, it's a good, um, good old-fashioned oh, yeah. World War II American yeah. film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, the real area where it's not faithful is that Red Skull doesn't have a piano on top of an Italian castle. That is true. They cut that out for no good reason. <laughs> I don't know why. It's such an he iconic part of his character. always play a piano on a castle. <laughs> That's, like, what he's, he's kind of a Nazi, he has a Red Skull, and he plays the piano on castle battlements. Those are the three things about Red Skull that everyone, yeah. everyone in the world knows. Yeah, That's yeah. true. Totally. So, um, so... Uh, okay. Red Skull gets away. Yep, and then, then we get uh we get our montage, our storming the Hydra bases montage. Oh, that's such a good montage. Bester, do you want to talk about why it's such a good montage? It's just really fucking cool. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know what to fucking tell you. It's just a really. It's a really cool montage. Th- thank you, I like PhD it. film student. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, know, remember, point, remember, listeners. Point, you know, like, I like things that I like, and I don't feel a need to justify that. Remember, listeners, we have two. We have two, no less than two, graduate-level film studies people and one film professional. And sometimes things are just awesome. Yeah. Things are sometimes just awesome. He blows up a giant fucking tank. Come on, people! <laughs> and he's just bursting into things, and he's shooting things, and he's throwing things, and he's just things are happening. It's awesome. So, you know, the Howling Commandos plus Bucky, they're going forth. They're kicking ass. Um, we also get treated to them briefly appearing in a movie version of their own exploits. Which is amazing. I believe. Mm. Um, and then we we move up to... God, I can't remember actually what Like a movie there. reel, we not like a oh, we, we, we skipped. We skipped something. We skipped a very important bit, which is when he gets his shield. Oh, yeah. Captain, oh, yeah. Captain America oh, yeah. Gets, gets his iconic uh, vibranium shield from Howard Stark, and he also kind of makes out with uh, that whore from Highgarden. Smirking whore. Smirking whore from High Garden. Um, oh, I thought you said usurping whore from High Garden earlier. Oh no, 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 no she's a smirking not, whore. Not, not that one. No. Um, they go on a mission no, that, to try to. No, that's Loris Terrell. Ha <laughs> zing! <laughs> uh, they go on a mission to try to capture Doctor Zola to try to capture Toby Jones, and uh oh, Bucky gets dropped off a train off of a cliff. <laughs> Gets dropped off a train. I mean, <laughs> in, yeah. in the traditional, uh, this person isn't really dead manner of movies, which is to say, fell from a great height. Yeah. Uh, I should oh, say, a moving fall. train. Yeah, yeah. Winter Mountain. Yeah. Uh, f- yeah. Fell from a great height. Yeah, a Reichenbach situation. Uh, a fall that no one could possibly survive. Which makes it eminently survivable in a movie. What if he fell also, onto the super serum? Yeah, and also, like, I, like, the Winter Soldier I, had been a thing for, like, what, a decade or so since uh, since when this movie came out? It's like the Dread Pirate Roberts, though. Not that no, long. No. It was, like, 2005. Yeah. Was yeah. it only 2005? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I thought it was, it was a little bit longer. Reason. But anyway, anybody watching this movie uh, who who knew the character certainly could tell that they were leaving it, leaving it open for that to oh, be yeah. a I actually, for the record, I actually always assumed that um, the reason he was able to survive it was that he had actually... Because remember... In the earlier, he breaks the Howling Commandos out of like a jail, and then Bucky, but Bucky's somewhere else. And I assumed that, that, yeah, I I assumed Zola was already doing experiments on him. Hmm. That's certainly a possibility. Hmm. I can buy that. Yep. Well, they certainly experimented on him afterwards, at the very least. So yeah, that's certainly a possibility. I hadn't considered that. That that was my interpretation was that that he had gone some preliminary experiments, and when Hydra recovered him from the fall, they decided to. Continue. Keep it going. Yeah. They continue Cut off his arm good work. So they, they, um, uh, the the first time I saw this scene in the theater, 
I gotta say, it was the most one of the most annoying and frustrating things I've ever seen, because for some reason I could buy everything that had happened up until now, but them walking along that train at that speed, <laughs> at that height, with a wind, very silly. No, like I just I was like, this doesn't make any sense. They can't just stand there like nothing is happening. I don't it's, know. Uh, it just really made me mad. I have often noted that it's kind of funny what kicks people off on superhero movies. Because, mm-hmm. you know, lately I've been thinking about, without spoiling too much about the BVS, Batman vs. Superman and um, Civil War, both are involved the highly complex, like, manipulative plots of their villains. Mm-hmm. And the thing you think about, we're starting to realize, is that, like, at the end of the day, superhero manipul- supervillain manipulation plots are kind of nonsensical because they're always, like, well, you can't really account for all those variables. Have you ever seen yeah, the game? Always... Have you seen you the game? Something. Yeah, you can. You just need a really complex test that asks questions about masturbation and small animals and stuff. Yeah. There was definitely a moment in Civil War that uh, definitely took me out for, was like, why is the villain doing this? It makes no sense. And then I was like, Okay, well, in this particular situation, it's gotten the pieces in the place that he wants, but there's no, there's literally no way he could know that that's how this would play out. Right, right. And my my point is more that like, you know, you you remember, you either you can either like suspend that disbelief because you remember that the people he's manipulating included, but are not limited to a man wearing the American flag, a dude with a metal arm, a giant person who can talk to ants. And a spider's man, so whatever. Yeah, he's, he's he's spider's, spider's man. man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, that 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 took me out of it a little bit, but we can talk about it in like five years when we get to Civil War. I, right. I, I think that's... Spent, Captain America spent a lot of time beating up a sixteen-year-old boy in that movie. It's yeah, a little yeah. weird. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. I I like that point though about kind of the manipulation and and what takes it, what kind of takes you out of the film because. Like, what took me out of this as much as anything else, it was not, um, it was not necessarily the high speed, it was not the, um, you know, the fact that they are on top of the train, it was how they got on top of the train, which is yes. ziplining zip hundreds of <laughs> they, feet onto a speed. They have a six-second window. Yeah. I, I mean, I adore that. Actually, the one thing I would want to ask you guys about, um, is that... I kind of want to ask you guys, now seems like an appropriate time to talk about Bucky. Oh, Bucky. Um, because Bucky ends up, spoiler alert for anyone who's been under a rock, or Bucky, is in, to us. Yeah, Bucky is not dead, and he is a major part of the movies going forward. Wait, and is. so they, they, there's a lot of work that has to be done to set him up. Um, and they've done a major change, because, like I said earlier, he's gone from being kid's sidekick to, you know, equal. Um, maybe you know, even and, bigger, maybe even like Big Brother. Right, even a Big Brother. Like part of the dynamic that I was picking up on in the first movie is that Bucky is having to deal with the fact that he's not like he's not t- he's not he's no longer as t- taller than Steve. Like they're of equal heights. Um, but you know, how did you guys feel? Do you think the film did a good job setting up Bucky? And also, this is one too, and this is because some of my friends who don't like this film have talked about this. What did you think about the de- the way they killed him off? Well, to answer like the first part, I think that w- Bucky is is possibly the the main weakness of the film because like and and it's not a huge weakness. It's not like a gaping hole. But for whatever reason, um, the scenes that we get between him and Steve in the first act don't quite do enough, or at least didn't for me 
didn't quite do enough to set up the stakes of losing him. Um, and I think that that's that maybe partially in terms of um, just the, what he was to do as a character, but also I think it also it, it might have to do with the fact that this is set against a kind of background of all this World War II imagery, where you know we see all of this like iconic, you know, it's like bombed out London and um, all of the, all of that stuff. But at the same time, we don't see like people killed in the cities or refugees or anything like that. Um, and it's 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 just like the film is really struggling in that third act um, to it has to do a lot of things, um, and a, as a result, we don't really get the stakes of losing Bucky or uh, you know. And I like I yeah. personally, it was like he lost his friend, he lost his best friend, but there wasn't much beyond the fact that it's constantly stated that he was his best friend. He's your best <laughs> yeah, friend, he's no Johnny. Biggs Darklighter. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like seriously, in in a weird way. Um, <laughs> I think what yeah, we needed you, find, you find the death of Biggs more affecting? Is that what you're saying? In a weird kind, like actually, that's a whole other discussion. But like, <laughs> with the deleted yeah, scene, we can't have Biggs. And Biggs yes, I absolutely find that relationship. I, I, have I, I, think, I think that there, there needed one. to be there, there needed to be as we got close, like end of the second act, we had the storming the base montage and all of that. We needed one more scene with Bucky in there, and we needed to see, because Patrick, to your second point, you, you have kind of the, the Bucky arc in the film with what he's dealing with as he goes along, and you kind of pick up on that in the scene between he and Steve and Peggy, but I feel like if we had one more scene after yeah. that where mm-hmm. you just you drill on that a yeah. little bit more, um, yeah. Th- then you can you can uh, end that effectively, and then the death, like the death, kind of comes out of nowhere. It's pretty abrupt, but you can make that work a little more. Then, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I-, I agree. I think like just one more scene of sort of seeing what their relationship is like post Cap- uh, Super Serum. I think I think sort of a personal moment between the two of them because like once once they're rescued. It really kind of feels like he just becomes one of the Howling Commandos and is just sort of one of mm-hmm. of Captain America's like seven or so sidekicks, and mm-hmm. he has like a bit more of a personal connection. But like the death maybe doesn't have as much of a punch because there isn't sort of more more of that sort of moment between them. And I'm certainly much more sort of emotionally invested in Bucky in the later uh, Captain America movies than I am in him here. Yeah, I mean, I mean I w- sorry, go ahead, Patrick. I'm inclined to agree because I, in many ways, you know, one criticism that often gets levied against uh, these big franchise movies and when they're not working is that they said that they're too busy setting up future movies to actually do the movies. And, uh, you know, some movies have a bigger problem with that. You know, of yeah. all the big movies, some are worse than others. And I actually think this one is really good on that front. But I would say that Bucky is the one place where it definitely kind of feels like he's yeah. he is there... Because they know that Winter Soldier is coming, and he's going yeah, to I mean, be. Um... Yeah, I mean, this is a movie that literally ends with a trailer for the Avengers. <laughs> yes. It has the yeah. Avengers in the name. It's clearly doing that kind of setup stuff, but the like compared with something like Iron Man Two, which yeah. clearly, probably more than any other movie, has, does sort of the most lifting in terms of setting up the MCU as sort of a coherent world. Uh, but mm-hmm. it really suffers for that. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a movie that like 
it tells a really compelling, at least in my opinion, uh, standalone story while also obviously, you know, setting things up down the line for, you know, mm-hmm. the Avengers, which is going to be the next MCU movie, and the Winter Soldier, which is the next Captain America movie, mm-hmm. and Agent Carter, which is a TV show, and all these other kinds of things, I think. Yeah, I, I will say this, though. I think, I actually do think one of the clever, the cleverest things that they did was to turn Bucky from kid sidekick to... Um, yeah. To best friend, I think that actually really makes that, and we'll we'll talk. We'll probably talk more about this when we t- when we see Winter Soldier, um, but like that dynamic really makes that it makes yeah. the dynamic way more interesting and way less creepy. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that's a good change. And I, I will say, and again, we probably don't want to go too much into the Civil War, but I think I think that sort of thing you're talking about about sort of movies that are just sort of here to set up. I feel like that's a much bigger problem for Civil War. I I really found sort of a lot of the things sort of like okay, we're just sort of you know reshuffling the pieces for mm. the next Avengers movie. Although mm. the the listeners, uh, today is Sunday, May eighth, and Civil yeah, War just came out two days ago. Yeah. So this is it's all on our minds. And I, yeah. I, I will say, like again, not to go too much into Civil War. Um, I I quite enjoyed Civil War, and I thought that it did that shuffling. I didn't. Um, pretty well. It certainly did it better than Age of Ultron did. Oh yeah, no, I mean it's it was certainly a better movie than Age of Ultron, but oh, that's I, not, I, that I disagree. Is... Really? We, okay. we, we will get on that at another time. In five years when we're talking about Age of Ultron and, <laughs> and Winter Soldier, or not Winter Soldier, uh, Civil War, we can talk about this. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's focus on this. More. Let's go back to the, uh, the summary. Should we talk <laughs> about the, the train? Yeah. Yeah. the train in the death? So he. Wait, 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 Derek. What was that? You want us to talk about? Civil, oh, yeah, uh, Civil War? I was. No, I was just gonna say. Like, we can. We should transition into talking about the the fourth act here. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, I will say this, by the way, real quick, is that one of the one of the saving graces of maybe the, the slight weakness of the death is Chris Evans' scene immediately after this where he's trying to get drunk and he says that he can't. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a great scene. Mm-hmm. Like, because anyway, that, that 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 at least made me that sold me on his pain, even if mm-hmm. the arc itself had been was a little. Yeah. So they they capture Zola. Zola tells. Uh, uh, Tommy Lee. I can't even remember Tommy Lee Jones' character's name. He's just Tommy Lee Jones. Everything about yeah, no, the first time is TLJ. I have literally no idea. I could not tell you. Phillips, Colonel Phillips. Um, sure. <laughs> you, I believe you, Mary, you might have just looked at a screwdriver and said Phillips for all I know. <laughs> it's no Colonel Phillips I'm looking at right now. Yeah, uh, Harvey Dent. Anyway, he goes... Uh, Zola, Billy D. Williams. Yeah, Zola tells Billy D. Williams what the plan is, uh, <laughs> and uh, they decide they're going to break into Hydra's base. A big battle ensues. Um, the film really does kind of pick up speed at this point. You, you've got a giant. Uh, Can we giant... pause for a second? Yeah. I just realized my microphone was muted when I yelled "Colonel Flathead" after Nick made that <laughs> screwdriver joke. Thank you. So I needed to bring it back. Thank you. <laughs> no um, problem. Yeah, we, we kind of go into to cruise control at this point. There's a big sort of super uh, cosmic square-powered jet that is... Uh, cosmic cube? Of... You mean cube? I know what I said. <laughs> I guess it is a tesseract, so it probably exists in more than just our it's three true. dimensions anyhow. It is anyhow. cube and square and time itself. <laughs> and we would later learn is way more complicated. Yeah. I didn't know that right then. <laughs> so uh, you've got uh, this super jet that's flying, and it's going to drop uh, drop nuclear bombs or god-powered bombs or whatever it is all over uh, the major cities of the world, including Berlin. Um, <laughs> but it's starting off with uh, with New York 
Cap breaks onto the ship. He fights uh, fights Hugo Weaver. The cube transports uh, the Red Skull away, possibly killing him, possibly dropping him into space, uh, t- to be determined. And, Depending uh, on what Hugo Weaving would like to do with his contract later. Yeah, and uh, Cap, with no other choice, uh, because the controls are busted, he ends up crashing the plane into the Arctic, saying a teary goodbye to Peggy on the radio. Uh, and being flash frozen in the Arctic, where he is discovered in the prologue. And then we have our epilogue, where he wakes up in a World War II hospital. But it's not a hospital. It's uh, a an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Something a whore does. Set up by S.H.I.E.L.D., who like clearly well, did not have a historian on staff to say... <laughs> That this game was from 1941, and that maybe uh, Cap would recognize yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, Cap breaks out. He's in. Uh, he's on a soundstage with a green screen that looks like Times Square. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the film itself. Come on, having a sports historian on staff. No, that was actually shot in, in New York. Yeah. No. I really? Know, but... <laughs> it does not look like it. Yep. Don't, don't don't ask me why it does that, but that is actually shot in New York. Man, there's weird. there's sad photos to I, prove. I would like to talk about the effects at some point. Yes, we, yes. we, can, we yeah. can do that next. We're almost there. Yeah, the, the final We're thing. almost uh, done. Yeah. Samuel, we just have Samuel yeah, Jackson Samuel just Jackson has to show up. shows up, tells Cap he's been asleep for 70 years. Cap's upset because uh, he had it's a date. 90, actually. Yeah, he had a date that he's really, uh, really late for. And uh, we cut to uh, credits, then cut to Chris Evans uh, punching that a punch. Amazing butt. <laughs> and then, that a tra- butt. then a trailer for the Avengers. Yeah. Another trailer for like, the Avengers. If that shot of him, if that shot of him uh, punching that punching bag is not evidence why he he should be uh, sexiest man alive over Chris Hemsworth, I don't know what is. Fun fact: uh, He Ooh. and Daredevil have the same stunt butt. Ah. Hmm. Are you telling me that's not his butt? I'm telling you that when there's a stunt double and you see the stunt double's butt, it is the same stunt double's butt that you see when you watch Daredevil's stunt butt, stunt double butt. Now, when yeah. you say Daredevil's stunt butt, do you mean Charlie Cox's stunt butt or Ben Affleck's stunt butt or both? Perhaps there's been a continuity. Maybe they decided to keep that over. We I hate everything Charlie about the Daredevil Cox. movie except the stunt butt. Keep that man. Charlie Cox's stunt butt. Interesting, because I feel like That's at least to di- me, Charles that is Cox the title of a tell-all uh, <laughs> I wouldn't think that they would have I, I know. interchangeable stunt butts. No, I was talking about this with someone the other day. It's shocking too, because Chris Evans, Captain America, and Daredevil, you think of has of ha- as of having very different builds, because Captain America yeah, is kind exactly. of built like a linebacker. Daredevil's been built; he's got much more of a compact martial artist build. Wide receiver. Yeah, um, but yeah. Okay, uh, Derek, you wanted to talk about special effects. Now's your time to shine. Yeah, okay. So, you don't want to keep um, talking about what body types different uh, <laughs> men in Marvel movies have? Hey, we'll, we'll do that um, when we get to uh, the Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Pratt's kind of pear-shaped, but then he like gets in shape. Uh, anyway, anyway, sorry. Clark Gregg is kind of like the king of the dad bod. Anyway, special effects besides Clark <laughs> Gregg. There's a way in which you can see the seams of the digital effects in this film mm-hmm. um, that you you can't as much in some of the other films, and I'm I'm wondering if um, I, I think it actually works for the film. There's a kind of uh, there's a kind of value to that, like it it almost sells the '40s uh, like wartime 
uh, kind of, kind of captain aesthetic in a weird captain-y? way. Yeah, kind of. They, yeah, they're kind of sky captaining at at points. Um, I mean, which I which effects are you seeing the themes on? Just out of curiosity. It's mostly backgrounds. Like it's it's, okay. it's not um, the digital maps. Yeah, it's it's mostly digital matte effects. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got you got two options there. I think. I think on the one hand, it's definitely possible that was an intentional move because we you know, one thing we've been talking about is, you know, how this very much feels like it was intentionally designed to mm-hmm. feel like not an actual movie in the Marvel universe, but a movie. The characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe watched right. to learn about Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one option. The other option is that, and I, and I don't, I, I don't know. I imagine this was actually a pretty expensive movie to make, comparatively speaking, largely because not only do you have the you know the special effects budget and all the other stuff that goes into a superhero movie, but it's a period piece, yeah. and period pieces are expensive because like all those like 1940s cars. They have to dig up actual 1940s cars. Why didn't cheap. they just shoot it on location in time and space? <laughs> <laughs> because well, that, well, that, that, because that's a only whole one. other set of expenses. I do want to mention yeah. that, that I I made at least four separate uh, comments in my notes about how much I loved uh, Johann Schmidt's car. Um, <laughs> right, because amazing car. His car is beautiful. Yeah. Hydra's got great design, though they have a goofy salute. Yes, and I even like the color. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a way in which this this kind of like, it's like, it's a retro futurist 1940s, obviously, yeah. right? And I mean, there are super soldiers, there's serum, there you know, there's lasers, floating cars, um, floating right. And I Briefly. I think that's that's maybe part of what part of what kind of almost motivated seeing the seams. I mean, just for me, like maybe maybe this is my like film scholar side coming through, but like. I think of like a 1940s war film as, in a weird way, having a kind of realism to it and having a kind of, um, like historical kind of grittiness to it, either like contemporarily or in like what we like. If you think of Saving Private Ryan or something like that, right. um, where it kind of worked as part of the aesthetic of this is an alternate past, you know, in in a weird this this is the past as kind of through the filter of the MCU and through the filter of um, nope. of a different past that they, you know, that the the world of the Avengers would have experienced. Um, and so there's a kind of element of, of fantasy there that almost, that like works. And I, it's that's not just in the, in the case of the effects, but also in the case of just like, um, you know, just like anachronisms and other sort of historical you, things. This, I mean, the fact that there's like an integrated military <laughs> for some reason. This is the World War II that would eventually give us the Cold War of Ant-Man, as it were. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, Ant-Man's very, you know, we don't see much in the flashbacks of Ant-Man, but what we do see is what, you know, what it was like when Marvel, the Marvel Universe was at the Cold War. Yeah. And so it is sort of that idea of like, you know, this this is the World War II that would eventually give us, you know, everything that comes forward. And it also, in a lot of ways, I've often... I, something I've kind of noticed that comes up a lot in the Marvel properties is that there's basically... Marvel has, like, two original sins, you know, that basically spiral everything out of control. Um, sin number one is just pretty much anything Odin does ever. Um, Odin <laughs> Odin is responsible for a lot of things going wrong in the Marvel Universe. And sin number uh, two is everything that Tony two. Stark does. Uh, he's in number three now that I think about it. But actually, I was um I was actually about to say the super soldier serum because uh, going forward you're going to see a lot of a lot of things going wrong. Our attempts to recreate it. We've we've already seen it in the Incredible Hulk. 
Yeah, like that's actually a very good point. Like that they've already seen it, but like going forward, you're going to see it even more. Basically, the idea is that you know this is Captain Captain America made this world in a weird sort of way, and I think that's going to make it. That's something I think I don't know. They've never explicitly stated it, but it is something that I always keep in mind. Is that I think he kind of is aware. He is in a weird way partially responsible for the world. Yeah, that he found it's it's like in. he's the first Avenger or something. <laughs> yes. There's the explicit um, statement. There we go. I want I want to go back to Derek's thing about sort of the scenes around the effects because I mean I, th- I think the most seamless effect, of course, is is scrawny mm-hmm. Steve. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I I don't know about you guys, but I, I I like while watching it, I was kind of marveling, pardon the t- pun, uh, at sort of how how effective that effect still is. Like, sometimes mm-hmm. in some of these movies, we go, oh, that effect does not hold up. Mm-hmm. But I think also, like, that does also help because we were talking about sort of how how important it is that we buy Scrawny Steve. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't know if there were any, any sort of uh, discussion about sort of, like, some of, these, some of these effects will be sort of deliberately uh, artificial-looking in, in some way or another, but there clearly, at least in my opinion, wasn't any, any sort of, uh, sort of, Obvious artifice to uh, to scrawny Steve. It's a very believable effect. Well, it's it's the where do we put our budget conversation essentially, and yeah. it's a little more. And I'm sure a lot of that budget went into scrawny Steve. And, and, yeah. and to, to your point, I mean, it, it works. It works well because I mean, the, the crux of the Steve Rogers character through every film that that he yeah. is in from this point forward. Uh, is is summed up very early on in that conversation with Erskine. You know, it's it's not about being uh, a strong man or a big man. It's about being a good man um, yeah. and appreciating the value of strength. And that that is through Civil War, the continuing thread in his character. And we need to see him as weak to appreciate that strength the way that he does. And we also need um, to understand that he was in his core, a good man and an important man before he was Captain America. And that's why when Peggy is going through his file at the end when they're cleaning out the SSR offices and she sees a picture of him in there, it's not him as beefy Captain America, it's him as skinny Steve because that's who he still is. And you'll notice actually, this is a we don't talk about the TV show as much, but in Agent Carter, anytime you see a picture of Steve on her desk, it's always skinny Steve. I haven't noticed that, but I will next time I watch it again. Uh, but I think I think that's also really important because I mean I think in a lot of ways on paper Captain America doesn't seem like he'd be a very interesting character. He kind of has that kind of Superman problem of being yeah. kind of a boy scout. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I remember going in like I did not have much of a you know relationship with Captain America prior to this. I don't think I I hadn't seen any of the the, the bad movies that we've watched. Uh, <laughs> From the beginning, I don't think I ever didn't know read about his a bitchin' van or thing. anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't know about his bitchin' van. Um, but like, I came out of this, and he is far and away my favorite character in the MCU. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with sort of the characterization they're doing here, and just how fucking well uh, Chris Evans nails the role and sort of nails that mm. sort of earnest, um, all American, all all American. Uh, honest, hardworking, uh, the integrity of him, uh, I think, is, is a large part of that. And I think, you know, if you don't have that, it's just, you know, some guy in a van that gets pumped full of a superhero. <laughs> uh, don't fucking give a shit about the fact that he, that he can throw a shield around. 
I mean, um, as, as you say that, Nick, like, I'm trying to think of another member of the Avengers or another member of the MCU, uh, yeah, of just like any hero in the MCU, who is sort of less defined by their powers than Captain America. I mean, it's it, like his powers are almost oh, just yeah, like generic, right? Yeah. Well, Super soldier. I mean, he's just yeah, sort of, he was, he's a human being, but like stronger and faster and all of that. He would still be he would still be doing good out in the world right. in some capacity or another even if this had never happened to him. Whereas Tony would probably still be a cad and mm. and you know, Black Widow would be an assassin and Bruce Banner would be a scientist somewhere. Hawkeye would be mean, a carny. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's tr- I'm going to tr- uh-huh. briefly turn back the sands of time. Uh, and I remember, Stefan, that you and I actually had this discussion right after the movie came out. Mm-hmm. We were because we were noticing that the reason he's Captain America is not the super is not the injections. It's the moment he throws himself on the grenade. Yeah, like that is that is the moment that makes him Captain America. It's not it's not that he got injected. It's not that he you know can bench press you know a car. It's that it's that he is the person who will like throw himself on a grenade without even thinking. Like, he reacts so fast, it doesn't even occur to him to go, wait a second, why is there a grenade? And there, there's, no. va- there's value in, again, over the course of of the series, and this, this is a testament to both the writing and to Chris Evans' performance. Um, when you have the... Um, I mean, you, as Captain America in this film, you and the other films, you are surrounded by these colorful characters. I mean... Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark brings a tremendous amount of charisma and a tremendous amount of uh, sort of flashiness to the role, uh, mm-hmm. as do a lot of the other actors. And it would be very easy to get lost in that. And I think what, what they've done with the way they've characterized Captain America and done it in a really compelling way is, you know, Tony is, as a character, really defined by his flaws and his tragedies. Um, and how he processes them, and he does that by making robots that try to kill people. Um, and and other characters do that a lot. Yeah. I mean, other, other characters are kind of defined by uh, by their powers or their tragic backstories, but everyone is defined in some sense by either an event or a set of circumstances or a decision that they've made. And Steve is defined largely by the the things that are innate in him by just his his mm-hmm. basic goodness and mm-hmm. his humility and the fact that he is just a kid from Brooklyn and it, mm-hmm. it, it in and of itself it plays very well but contrasted against the other things going on around him i mean steve does you could argue in this film and in all of the others that follow that steve does not have a character arc that he's just steve rogers and the films are not about getting Steve from point A to point B in terms of character. It's about, uh, as they use the metaphor in Civil War, it's about Steve planting himself and telling the world to move instead of moving for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, oh. I just, a, a completely random thought here, that, but for some Sorta reason it... it, it... <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, it, it kind of clarifies in my mind the kind of character that uh, that Steve is. Um, you know, in, cla- in the the two directors who are commonly considered like the greatest directors in classical Hollywood are John Ford and Howard Hawks. Um, and Howard Howard Hawks uh, is sort of famous for writing these sort of wisecracking characters and is showing kind of people just doing their jobs. Um, whereas John Ford is a lot more kind of existential, and uh, it's it, it's about 
just kind of the, the beauty of people in their situations, and oftentimes his characters don't change a whole lot. It's about the interaction of uh, of characters within their context, and it strikes me that like um, Tony Stark is very much a, a Howard Hawks character, yeah. um, like. Mm -hmm. It, it, a wisecracking and and what you see in the character you you understand the character through their work in the film, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, whereas uh, Steve Rogers is really kind of almost more of a John Ford character where it's it's just it, it's this this type and this person who's defined less by their their work and their actions and and more in terms of like who they are kind of fundamentally. Um, yeah. And their choices are just natural. Like they don't struggle in those choices. They're just they're just kind of naturally heroic, like almost like a John Wayne. Uh, Speaking of the searchers, uh, I watched Bone Tomahawk recently, which made me think of uh, <laughs> it, it. Felt like a horror remake of the searchers. Um, uh, but I, sorry, I, I didn't want to cut you off, Derek. No, no, I, I finished my thought. Uh, but uh, yeah. I wanted to talk about the super serum uh, process very quickly. Uh, when I was watching it, I thought it was strange that uh, Steve could uh, grow all of this mass without being covered in scars and stretch marks. Uh, <laughs> but then what Patrick said earlier... It's the, it's the Vita Rays! <laughs> oh, of course, the Vita Rays. Uh, that, too, wouldn't yeah. they have had to feed him like a bunch of food at the same time? Like, Shouldn't there just be like... Protein yes. shakes pouring in through 20 other injections. <laughs> Maybe that's what the super soldier formula is. Maybe it's just like muscle milk. <laughs> oh, there we go. I mean, uh, you're technically correct, dude, but if you want to please explain the physics of the Infinity Gems to me, I would love to hear that. Well, hold on. No, because Patrick, one you answered this question time. earlier. Uh, you you answered the the quest, my question earlier because uh, you said that Steve Rogers is defined by... Uh, who Captain America is at his core, uh, and I thought, what if he's not growing? What if inside that box they put another body on top of him, and inside he's still a tiny, scrawny Steve Rogers and he's kind of with like layers a, of extra he's meat? Like, he's like Iron Man. They built like a Steve <laughs> Rogers Iron Man he's around. A meat stick. <laughs> like you know, Ben Black. If Tommy David Cronenberg makes a, uh, yes. a Captain America movie, that will be his twist. Dude, you can <laughs> make that to work however you want. <laughs> I, I will allow it. All I'm going to point out is a flying aircraft carrier. This is well, a world... We've already established that there's a flying car. It just, you know, it's going to take a few it's years. A few years away. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying... And whatever happened to that? Um, oh, it's in Agents of Shield. Flying cars yeah. are the worst idea in the world. It's really bad. That's why, that's why no they way. haven't been invented. People have invented flying cars. They're just incredibly practical. They're so dangerous. Regular cars are so dangerous. Driving in two lanes in two dimensions next to a bullet that's going like 60 miles an hour. Yeah. The size Think about of how often private air airplanes crash. Yeah, People are dying those all the Joe Shaw driving up in the liquor store in the over island. my house. What did you say, Patrick? It is literally a plot point in the first Iron Man movie that private aircraft are dangerous. Okay. Yes. So, anyway. <laughs> don't Captain fly Am your own planes. So, back to Captain America. Your meat suit. <laughs> yeah. What color is your meat suit? Anyway. Uh... <laughs> Pink? 
Um, no, it, it, go, it goes to uh, maybe uh, it's my uh, I'm going to say second favorite title of a television episode ever, which is the Venture Brothers. What color is your clean suit? Uh, oh, I thought you were referencing what color is your parachute. No, no. Yeah, well, um, this, is, yeah. this is like a second-degree yeah, reference. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, making a reference to a thing that's making a reference to what color is yeah. your parachute. Favorite... I didn't know that was actually a famous phrase, though. I mean, I've heard it as the title of a book, but... My favorite... Well, I think, it's a, I think it's a fairly famous sort of self-help kind of a book. Oh, okay. My favorite title for any episode of television ever is uh, Pushing Daisies, the Chinese gambling den episode, Dim Sum, Lose Sum. <laughs> Wow. I forgot about that. Oh, wow. I still anyway. need to see the second season of Pushing Daisies. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's so much better than the first. It's really good. Really, really good. Yeah. To bring it back to Captain America, one thing I will also point out is that this is the first Marvel movie that has a subtitle, which is actually something that... Has a what? It has a subtitle because going pretty much ever, except for Iron Man 3, at this point they stop using numbers. Right. Because it's just, it gets just oh, yeah. Captain America blank, true, Captain America true, blank, Thor blank. Um, I guess in the MCU blah, 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 that's blah. true, but there's still numbers in the Fantastic Four title films. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, if you think about X-Men, too, because X is Roman numeral... Yeah, they're really uh, the ten men. Yeah. Yeah. Ten, ten starring X-Men Neil McDonough! Yes! Ten same thing. And, like, it, it basically... I just think it's also interesting that we basically hit this point where we're like, we don't do numbers anymore, and I think that's partially because... <laughs> If we put the numbers on it, we just see how ridiculously many the numbers there are. Like, yeah. like just Captain America has appeared in Quick Count, Captain America, Avengers, uh, Thor, 2, Thor two, Captain America two, Avengers two, and the third Captain America movie. That's six movies. Technically, yeah. we're in Captain well, America six. There were three Captain America movies before even the first one you named. Yeah, right. I'm nine. Just, I just mean nine of them. Yeah. But yeah. also, uh, I mean, I think that's also just general. Isn't that generally a trend for sequels in general? Yeah. I mean, it's not we, like it's we, not like we had it's not like we had Jurassic Park four last year. Yeah. Or no, the, we, the new Jason Bourne movie is not Jason. It's not Bourne four. Yeah. The, 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 the new Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's I mean, a... so, some franchises certainly keep it up. Star Wars, obviously, the fat. Well, the Fast and the Furious, of Ocean's Eleven, of, sort of do it. Ocean's Eleven, kind of. But, uh, <laughs> I think a lot. Of, like, when was the, when was there a number in a, a, a Bond movie that wasn't seven? Yeah, that's or true. Zero. Mm. <laughs> or another zero. Oh. Um, I just want to point out no. that in in this uh, Captain America film. Uh, much as they botched the Red Skull character by not having him play a piano, um, this film also does not oh feature. Uh, it does not feature the famous character of uh, the villainous Miguel. Miguel. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, that's bad. No I'm just really upset that the Punisher never has shakes. I miss shakes so much. Oh, shakes. Well, why was he, he not in Daredevil so. season two? That would have been. They should have. The Punisher show coming. If Baron Paul show coming, be patient, Nick. Yeah, you need to start writing, uh, writing Jeff Loeb and the folks running Marvel TV. And uh, okay. bring back the jeweler, will, please. Please bring don't. Bring back the jeweler. <laughs> bring back the jeweler. <laughs> I mean, speaking of which, is is this the last uh, Marvel <laughs> film before they got acquired by Disney? Uh, I think they. They had been acquired, but this may have been the last. They got acquired. No, they were acquired a few years before this. They got acquired, yeah. I think. Or the, the, the last. I'm looking at the last. Right 
the last film not... 2009 was when Disney purchased it. Um, and let me just see. So 2009 was when they purchased it. First Avenger came out in... 11. 2011. So yeah, they would have... They wouldn't have, yeah. They would not. Have, they would have been. They would have already been under the Disney umbrella by the time this movie started production. This, right, but this not distributing this. Right, this yeah, may have been the last one that Disney didn't distribute. Yeah, okay. no. This. Hang on. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. It's released through Paramount. I think that this would have been the last one that because Paramount released them until Disney. Yeah. But yeah. this is probably Avengers the last. Avengers is definitely under Disney, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Avengers yeah. is the next. Uh, the next yeah. MCU. Avengers. Yeah, and there, there was no way Disney was going to not let to let that one. Yeah. I really hope that the 42 listeners give a shit about who distributes movies, because we always end up spending a couple minutes like, who distributed this movie? Well, people people give a, a shit about Neil McDonough. <laughs> I have a question about numbers. Um, <laughs> how do they work? <laughs> yes. Much like magnets, how do they work? Uh, when do you guys think that they're going to stop numbering the Star Wars episodes? Never. You well, think they're going to go to episode forty-seven? Well, I mean, they're doing they're doing like the saga yeah, things, but the first and then of they're those also is called like... Rogue One. It's even that's got a number in. But no, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but then it's also telling the main story in episodic numbers. Yeah, I I because know. they're introducing new characters, number, so they can just keep I think the going. numbers are too intrinsic a part of it. Because it's remember, like brain. we're talking about a franchise that literally opened up where the very first one anyone ever saw said episode four. Oh, part, part of the uh, I thought, but, I thought there's it was a whole other story yeah, and conversation to that. Yeah. Yeah. The episode was, four got added in a little bit later. It wasn't yeah, I think, I think Empire was. Uh, I, I don't remember. I mean, yeah. no, I, I don't between, mean I don't I remember. I mean, releases. I don't know because I was not alive until 1984. Yeah, I mean, you guys remember but, that really old movie, dude, Empire Strikes Back? Disney's plan is to release a Star Wars movie every single year until the sun dies. So I know some, that. I know that. But at numbers. some point, they're going to land before time it and stop using numbers. I think. I don't think because, so. uh, I don't... uh, I just find it difficult to believe that they're going to keep going up to. I mean, because they're, they're going to go on after we're dead. But are they going to be like episode forty? Cla- are, classical... are people going to be sitting down to watch forty of them in a row? Classical serials got at least into the thirties. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a lo- it's a long way down the line. I mean, I feel like episode twelve seems reasonable to me. You could probably yeah, get re- you could probably get away with fifteen, maybe fifteen's where it starts being uh, getting a little uh, incredulous. Yeah, but and that's, that's a decade away. Yeah, that's but the that's one. Not that's like, the yeah, one I'm talking where... long term. Yeah. I I, I want to yeah, know. I don't know. That's totally. the, that's the I, one very where they're thinking about that. <laughs> no, they totally are. They're already planning for the scene in Star Wars episode twenty two, uh, The Force Reawakens. <laughs> When Ray's great grandkid gets stabbed with a lightsaber by Ray's great great grandkid and uh, poofs into a cloud of smoke, and then uh, another protagonist screams no. Yeah. Every six every six episodes, it's just a remake of the first movie. Uh, fuck, we're already yeah. there. Why not? Uh, yeah. Anyway, what, one they... thing I feel like we may have given slightly short shrift uh, is. How awesome Peggy is! Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah, we can talk about Peggy. I, I'm so glad you said that because as you were going, it's like I don't think it's Peggy because I'm pretty sure I've gushed about Peggy here, but I'm glad you said Peggy so I can gush about Peggy some more because I'm talking about Peggy. Yeah. Okay. Like, here, here's, here, here's my here's my question. Here's my question though. So Peggy, uh, it, ignore everything that has happened with Peggy since this. Okay. Peggy John. is cast in this film. Explicitly as Steve's World War II love interest. 
Um, you know, Natalie Portman was Jane Foster, and Liv Tyler was Betty Ross, and Gwyneth Paltrow is Gwyneth Paltrow, as she always is in every movie. Um, why, what is it about Peggy in this film that we latch onto that justifies her becoming what she later becomes? Why do we love 1940s hair. Okay. I mean, lipstick's also really up. I mean, I think, I think it's because, like, of, of those, like, Jane Fleek. Foster and Liv Tyler's, whoever the fuck her, whatever the fuck her name Eddie is. Ross. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the Red She-Hulk, eventually. Um, like, I just don't give a shit about them, because they don't really have any bearing in the movie other than being, like, the, oh, it's that lady that the hero is sexually attracted to, and she's in peril. Sort of thing. Whereas this is the Peggy. Peggy's just fucking kicking ass and taking names, regardless of whatever the hell uh, Steve's I, doing. I think she feels like a stronger mover in the plot than yeah. the others, and I think, and and to varying degrees, I think some of those have been course corrected on the other characters. But I think this, but in particular, I feel I, I think, I mean that first of all, I just think it's like just she's a British SSR agent in a time when. You know, there was a lot of sexism, which is an interesting, you know, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, but, I, you know, th- she, this is someone who, like, remember that one of the ways she's introduced is, like, she plays off Chris Evans so well and so hard. Like, one of her, one of the best moments I always remember is, like, when he's like, hey, I think it's bulletproof. And, like, she's angry at him because she, um, and she just goes, what do you think? And he, she just shoots, she flat out shoots the shield and goes, I think it works. Yeah. I mean, or when how, he calls her a dame. Yeah. Right. How, I mean, like, how much or, of it is just that chemistry, though? I think a lot of it is the chemistry. And I think some of it's also the fact that when she is entered into, at no point is Peggy Carter kidnapped and held mm-hmm. by anybody. Mm-hmm. Nor well, and when she is in danger, it's because she went in there with knowing there was danger and brought along suitable firearms to deal with the danger. She's shooting her way out. She's got like yeah, like I does. I, I was not a part of the uh, Thor conversation, and I ha- haven't seen it. But I somehow doubt that at any point during that you guys were talking about the great chemistry between Natalie Portman <laughs> and Chris <laughs> That conversation never fucking happened because that does not exist. Yes. Um, but I think I think that it, it's just it, it's a very interesting part, and she's a much and I think as written in this movie. It's a much stronger love interest. You, <laughs> um, and I just think also, I think Haley Atwell also just sort of Haley Atwell and Chris Evans have amazing chemistry. Yeah. like that's just oh, it is a right. it is a scientific yes. fact, measurable on scientific instruments. She wants to be the first female doctor, and I support her for that. Yeah, I think she's an existing Marvel character, right? I mean, she's not. Yeah. It is she's fairly, but she's a fairly minor character, I believe. She, she's more like. She, I mean, because remember, it was the 19... It, she's more like Steve's secretary or something very similar. Like, it's, okay. she is not the badass that she became. I mean, in later in later Captain America uh, comics, did she become like... Because my impression from this film is that she is basically representing the British, like, secret everything in this allied uh, uh, experiment. Peggy um, is generally I mean, a non factor historically in the comics. Sharon okay. Carter is a more significant character in the comics historically than Peggy. Now, mind you, given the way flexible way comics histories have changed, she he is she is now like they've kind of like retroactively snapped back time and made her a bigger deal, but you know, that's in the yeah, same I, way that have yeah, you noticed that Tony looks like, like 
Yeah, to- notice how Tony looks a lot like RDJ these days. And well, how... I know. I-, I was just asking, like, before this movie came out. Oh, I see. Or no. did they create this Not really of her for this film? She was created for this film. Okay. No, the character existed, but this interpretation was created. But this yeah, version of her, she was not a she was not a badass significant part of this. Okay. Prior not to, to my this, knowledge. That is what I was asking. Not to my knowledge. So, good on Haley Atwell for t- t- uh, taking this role and making it her own. Mm-hmm. Worked out well for her. Mm-hmm. Kind of love her show so much. Is it done? Is it not coming? I've back? only seen the first uh, season. It um, it's, pro- it's probably done. It is, is is the is from what I have uh, read. Yeah. I don't think it's formally canceled or anything like that. But he, the situation is, she's currently she's on an ABC. She's currently the lead on a different ABC show. Um, Agent Carter's numbers have not been what they wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible that she could do both because of the way the schedules stack. And I know she loves playing Car- Peggy Carter. But the studio may just decide it's not worth it. But no, we, only, it is a, like, what show is she on? Episodes a season. Um, yeah, there's only a few episodes. Like schedule-wise, she could do it. It's a it's a new show, Nick. I don't know the name off the top of my head. It it no. just got picked up. It's well, going we'll to start watching it because of the Haley Atwell in it. Um, but it, so you know, she her priority is probably going to be that. Um, honestly, it's up to the studios. They haven't said, and everyone's interpreting their silence as meaning probably it's going to go on the chopping block. Yeah. I mean, just because also you have to remember, it's a period piece, and period pieces are yeah. expensive. Yeah, it's an expensive show to produce. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But also have to invent all that stuff uh, that, you know, Howard Carter invented. Yeah. Not Howard Carter. <laughs> Howard Carter. <laughs> not, not the uh, Lord Carnarvon. <laughs> yeah. I was imagining some sort of... Uh, Sort of AU uh, storyline where they get married and like it's such a forward-thinking relationship that he takes Peggy's name. <laughs> I, I think we can pretty much definitively conclude, as of Civil War, that Howard did not end up marrying Peggy Carter. Well, you don't know that. No, could have been could have been uh, his first wife, or That's, his second, is, or his fourth. Is, we don't know how many times Howard's been. But not his third. Even not his third. No, no. She could I mean, be his future wife. There is something fun about it for Civil War actually definitively establishing that yes, Tony Stark's mother was was Howard's wife and not one of Howard's many, 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 many conquests. At the time. Well, they were dead after that, so yes. Spoiler warning, Howard Stark is dead. Dick Laurent is dead. Um... The king is dead. Yeah. Uh, there's one more thing that I had in my notes. Um, uh, when they were at the expo, it really made me think, man, I wish there were a World's Fair. <laughs> 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 I, I, I mean, the Olympics are great. I'm glad that you know the Olympics ex- exist and people from all over the world go to wherever the place is. But I want there to be a World's Fair every four years. Mm-hmm. Now, when you said this... Were you were you consciously thinking of the fact that there had been World's Fairs, or did yes. you think that you were coming up with the concept no. of World's Fairs in well, that moment? And like, God, that'd be a great idea. Why guys, did everybody have got an idea? It's because that's how I When was the last World's Fair, Nick? <laughs> the, uh, I think they still have World's Fairs, technically. I don't think that they do. Well, let's find out. Yeah. To the internet. World's while you while you guys are looking, oh. I will comment that the Stark the Stark Expo is a great conceit, if if only because. It, it, it kind of, more than almost anything, it builds that, like, 1940s pulp feel that uh, yeah. Derek was talking about, because it literally, because up until that point, you know, we have we have just existed in what is 
pretty much a straightforward World War II movie. Um, you, you even have Red Skull making a, 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 a half-assed joke about, a half-Indiana Jones joke reference. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I will say, Expo 2017 is being held in Astana, Kazakhstan. Yeah. They still have World's Fairs. That's still oh, wait, something. It's just called Expo? Yeah, they call them Expo now. Okay, well, no, I'm talking about, like, you know, the Chicago World's Fair or the New York yeah, World, like, this, the actual... This has, been re- this has been rebranded as just Expo, but it's the same thing. Yeah, they I mean, changed it's the same, it from World's Fair was it, it Was it an official organization that was always putting them on? I was under the impression that a city decided to put on a World's Fair. No, I think there's, like, official World Expositions. Okay, I did not know that that ever existed. Uh, the Bureau International de Expositions... Of course it's uh, International Ex- Exhibitions Bureau, if you couldn't mm. somehow parse that for it, Dung, <laughs> uh, has served as the international sanctioning body for fairs. BIE-approved fairs are of three types, universal, international, and specialized. So the only one that does not exist anymore is Worlds. <laughs> yes. They have universal but... and international. I guess I'll say it's it doesn't seem like they're yearly. There was a there was there's not a 2016 one. It seems like every like roughly three years. So there was 2015 in Milan, 2012 in Yusu, South Korea. I'm probably mangling that. 2010. What I'm hearing is next year in Kazakhstan. (laughs) Yes, and then 2020 in Dubai. Did Patrick anyone notice the? I was about to say I was, I was making a dumb uh, Asgard joke. But did anyone notice the original Human Torch? Yep. In the world, in the Stark Expo. Yeah, the synthetic. Oh, uh, I think I remember reading that I was in there, but I, ha- I don't think I've ever actually caught it. It's just in that opening yeah, he's, uh, panning shot. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a prop detail, like because Ooh, I'm sure. Is a robot? Is that right? He's a, he's a robot, robot, right? He's an android. Yeah. please. Yeah, it's. I, I'm sure the legal question of who owns the first Human Torch is a thorny, painful one. No, but is he a robot? Am I making that up? He is a robot. Okay, so uh, the Human Torch is not human, is what you're telling me. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's like Man-Thing and Swamp-Thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but there's at least some Man in Man-Thing. The Human Torch, according to Wikipedia, the, quote, human, end quote, Torch, was actually an android created by scientist Phineas Horton. Uh, I was really hoping you were going to say it was an acronym. Any relation to Tim Horton? I was going to say I love his donuts. (laughs) So, uh... Heuristic, unquenchable, massive... Assault. God damn it. Nanomachine. <laughs> I'm going to throw an idea at suggestion, Stephanie. Is it time for final thoughts? No, <laughs> that was a great acronym. You all know it. That's Derek, true. You, you seem like you have something to say, then we can go to final A uh, really, really quick thing. Um, I, I don't know if you guys caught the uh, reference to uh, Rage of the Lost Ark in uh, the sequence near the end of the film where Cap is fighting you know, Hydra people on those tiny like nuke planes. And that one guy, like, falls into the propeller. Um, <laughs> that's that's got to be a Raiders reference because Joe Johnson did visual effects for Raiders. Okay. He actually oh, won an Academy Award for it. What well, if he, he did that in every one of his films, and uh, these are the only two that anyone has noticed. Yeah, remember in, uh, in Jumanji when... Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, you know, those monkeys wait, did he work got... on Titanic? I will point as I said, in the very beginning of the in the very beginning of the movie, Red Skull comments about the theater looking for trinkets in the desert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Anyway. All those monkeys got thrown through that propeller. 
Yeah, David Allen Greer threw him in a plane. Yeah, which, which uh, is uh, what, how they came up with that game, uh, Propeller Full of Monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, little monkey yeah, laying I... on a plane. <laughs> One falls in the propeller. <laughs> <laughs> when is the Hungry Hungry Hippos movie coming out? <laughs> Oh, inevitable? Yeah, inevitably. <laughs> as, so, as somebody who went to see uh, Battleship in theaters, it's going to happen. I've heard that that is much better than you could possibly expect. It's not. It. it I don't. How low can expectations possibly? Yeah, go? I mean, like, yeah, it's better than expected. Like, there's two. Or, there's like two sequences where you're like, okay, this is worth paying for. But I don't know if it's. It's not. It's not a good movie. Okay. I'm just thinking of the end of your uh, monkey propeller song, because it's one little monkey jumping on a plane, falls into a propeller. So much blood. (laughs) I was was just going to skip over the grisly details. Anyway, uh, yeah. Final Final thoughts. Dude, do you want to start with with, uh, your final thoughts? Um... I'm going to check the time. Uh, this movie is definitely about the captain. It's about America. And uh, go team. Yeah. What do you think of what happened at precisely one hour and 20 minutes into the movie? <laughs> From your detailed notes, what, 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 how do you feel about that? Uh, let's see. One hour and 20 I was like, you know, no other movie has really made me feel that this is... Uh, such a perfect 80-minute mark. <laughs> yeah, no, that was my thought, too. Yeah, all okay. right, I'm glad, I'm glad we agree. Okay. Uh, Derek, your final thoughts? Ah, uh, this is a pretty good movie. Um, you know, I, I remember at the time... At the, at the time, a lot of the critical consensus was, oh, it spends too much time, like, setting up the Avengers, and it should really be its own film. But I think in the context of... Uh, what it had to do, and in the context of later films that do setting up for later film, uh, this is mostly its own... It's more its own film than some other Marvel films. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, there was... You know, I think we could have spent a little bit more time, like, back in the 40s. Like, I I would have seen... I would have loved to have seen just a little bit more development of um, Peggy and Steve's relationship. Um... Or, um, you know, a little more development of, uh, you know, the relationship between Bucky and Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think there's any wasted time in this film. Uh, you know, there's there's nothing that, that really conceivably could have been cut from this um, without painful changes. So, yes. I Do you really think like an it. hour... It's one of my uh, favorites. Our universe, uh, Bucky and Steve uh, founded the chain Stuckies together? <laughs> Since he didn't become a super soldier, <laughs> or Bean, look like Chris Evans still. Let's go, let's go look at look at the uh, founding documents of Stuckies. Yeah, it's uh, they're I think what they're sealed the, inside a, a secret uh, pecan roll. Yeah. What is Stuckies? I think we just figured out why Stucky never caught on as a ship name. <laughs> Stuckies yeah, no, is, a, is a chain of uh, American um, roadside. Uh, like restaurants and gas stations, I think, convenience stores, oh, famous for their pecan rolls that uh, went bankrupt sometime in the last 20 years. But I have seen, actually, a couple of locations in the last few years, mostly at truck stops. Okay. All right. 
Well, keep an eye out for Stuckies, I guess. Yeah. There you go. Bester, do you have any non-Stuckies related final thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, one of the things I was just thinking, like, with Derek's final thoughts, like, the that that thing he was saying about the sort of critical con- uh, idea that uh, it was doing too much setting up for the Avengers, I'm just thinking back on the movie and, like, what parts of the movie are sort of just there to set up the Avengers the other than, like, the minutes. last five minutes? Like, I really don't... Like, there's a little bit of stuff sort of setting up S.H.I.E.L.D., but that's all kind of backstory that isn't even in the Avengers. That's stuff that gets filled in later. You I feel like... I was thinking of the broader, like, Tesseract stuff. But and, the Tesseract and... is integral to the plot of this film. I mean, it is the no, plot it's, of yeah. this film, too. Right, it's true. Yeah. But I think I think at the time, people, for whatever reason, like, saw yeah. that and read that. I mean, it definitely, it definitely is setting up the Avengers. I can't deny that. As I mentioned earlier, it ends with a trailer for the Avengers, <laughs> which... <laughs> I, I remember watching that going, oh, right, that's what this uh, <laughs> this ending scene is. Which is a little bit disappointing in terms of ending scenes. Didn't um, the Avengers I'm... come out like like in the late '90s or something? Yeah, uh, yeah that with movie Sean with Connery. Sean Connery and uh, Uma Thurman. <laughs> how now, Brown like, Cow? How now, Brown Cow? This is the backstory for it, you know, explaining how Sean Connery <laughs> ended up in those teddy bear costumes. <laughs> it's a prequel. <laughs> prequel. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I mean, that was this the is, prologue to this movie. That movie. This was. is one of my. Uh, like I, I count this among like the top echelon of MCU movies. I really, really love this one. Uh, it's somewhere in my top five, uh, probably like four or five. Um, and I think, I think my one complaint is that I wish, I wish they had left some. Uh, and if they wanted to do it, they still could do it. But like, I wish they had left some more obvious narrative gaps in the '40s thing to leave the option for having another movie. Set during uh, mm-hmm. during that, I would love to see um, Captain America and Peggy and Bucky, you know, doing stuff in World War Two. Uh, like a road trip there. movie. Like I remember the first across time seeing Russia. Theaters being... <laughs> yeah. What? A road trip movie across Russia. I would <laughs> fucking I would see that in a moment. Like, I know. Yeah, the road. But to like, Moscow. yeah, I remember. I remember uh, while seeing it for the first time being sort of surprised and a little disappointed that they... I thought that they were going to leave some kind of gap open there for that possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, like, it wouldn't end right away with him being frozen. Um, so I, I would like to... I, I would love to see a world, another World War II Captain America movie. It's probably not going to happen. Uh, but, you know... The Captain America movies are certainly my favorite subset of the Marvel movies because uh, I'm maybe not in love with Civil War, but certainly uh, Winter Soldier by a significant margin is my favorite uh, MCU movie, and this is high up there too. Uh, and again, as I said earlier, this is like me coming in with absolutely no sort of preconceived notions or emotional investment in Captain America. It's really all sort of being developed by this movie and sort of Chris Evans' performance and how much great characterization they make in there. So, it's great. I love it. Eat it, stuck. I didn't... Yeah. Somebody get that guy a sandwich. <laughs> there are so many great throwaway lines during that whole, like, see you getting turned into Captain America. Oh, I forgot my, I forgot my other final thought. Uh, wouldn't the movie be so much better if he had kept the breezy Capri pants that he has in the post, uh, uh, 
post. If he had just been wearing, that was his outfit the entire movie, <laughs> the overly tight t-shirt and these pants that stop right beneath his knee, but he was still fighting Nazis. I think we can all agree that would be a better movie. Oh, yeah. I and will that's my, that is my final thought. I will point out just very quickly before I have my final thoughts. Um, this is the only movie with a Chris Evans shirtless scene. That, huh. that can't be possible. True. Yeah. You mean a superhero no, Chris Evans scene? Superhero uh, in the MCU is the okay. only MCU movie he's where certainly, Chris he's Evans certainly shirtless in those Fantastic Four movies. Yeah, yeah. because oh, I have, I posted a, like my live tweeting of this was pretty much half of it was posting gifts of Chris Evans or uh, Sebastian Stan. And another quarter of that was posting gifts of uh, Peggy Carter, uh, and there were definitely some shirtless gifts of uh, of Chris Evans. Well, so, yeah. how yeah. many were of uh, Red Skull playing a piano on top of a castle? I didn't. I will find that gif and post it now. Please I will do. say one one particular uh, gif I posted of Sebastian Stan is probably my most favorited uh, tweet of all time. Just him cuddling a little uh, stuffed animal. The people, they loved it. Who's that? <laughs> Patrick, you're uh, how many The people. The Twitterati. <laughs> the Twitterati. Of course. Patrick, your, your final thought? I really love this movie, and I always have. Um, you know, I, I of the Phase 1 first rush of movies, this is easily my favorite. Um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways... You know, they would later go on to use Captain America to do some very interesting stuff. Like, you know, Winter Soldier is an incredibly intelligent film in a lot of ways. But you need this movie to set up... It's This movie is like the equivalent of Skinny Steve. Without this movie, nothing wonderful will come later. And, like, you need this to understand who this guy is because... He, in a lot of ways, Cap is at his best when he's bouncing off all these other ridiculous, colorful characters. Oh, yeah. And, But you need this to understand who he is. And what I think works so well about this movie is that this movie is more... It arguably is the most... In many ways, it, this is the most set-up-y movie. Not because it actually is you know, wasting a lot of time setting things up, but because it's a literal prequel. It literally takes place 70 years before any of the other movies take place. You know, it's it, this is all stuff that's in the past, but at the same time, I think, a largely in partially due to the way they nail the tone, it's just fun. At no point did I not enjoy, you know, do I enjoy myself in this movie. Um, I I I do wish we had gotten more with Bucky, and I say that particularly having seen Winter Soldier and Civil War, I wish we had gotten more set up. But that's less a. Um, it's not even something I noticed at the time. That was just something that I recognize looking back on it now. Um, you know, I, re I, I remember that moment when we had that trailer at the end. I remember freaking the hell out because it was just that exciting. You know, that's something that's going to come up with Avengers is that Avengers... One thing about the first Avengers movie is that there's just such a moment of excitement of, oh my god, I can't believe this is actually happening to it. That almost carries it that almost carries it through large portions of the movie because this just wasn't something we had seen before um, but I also I'm also a sucker for World War II movies so I was probably always going to like this but yeah I, I think this is not this doesn't necessarily reach the heights that say Winter Soldier does 
but it's rock solid. Like the the only only complaint I have really is, um, I wish I had more Sebastian Stan. But also, I, before I, f- I wrap up, I do kind of want to talk about one person we haven't talked too much about. Um, and Hugo Weaver. It, no, <laughs> that real person. His uh, name is definitely that. No, um, uh, just, I really love the work that uh, Stanley Tucci does in this movie. Oh yeah. Yeah, we have because kind of... we we didn't talk. He's not in much of the. He's in, he's he's, v- he's so very good. brief in the movie, and he's playing a what is what is a person who is in the Marvel canon a very minor person. He never really does much, but he he because he's Stanley Tucci. When he just shows up, he's able to deliver megatons of character. And he has this amazing bit with Steve when they're in the camp together. It's the night before his the procedure, and he's like yes. got this big bottle of schnapps. And he's talking about everything, and I think one of my favorite li- he gives one of my favorite lines to talk about World War Two, which re- and it's kind of it feels a little silly to say this, but it really changed how I thought about World War Two because he has this line: "Everyone forgets the first country the Nazis invaded was their own." Yeah, and I just I love that line, and I love the way he delivers all of everything. Like he he really. He does an amazing job of making it clear just why this person affects Steve so much, despite mm-hmm. the fact that we barely can see him. And in that in that way, I compare him favorably to the um, to Yinsen in the first Iron Man movie. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a person who's who's a very brief part of the life, but affects them deeply. Yeah, no, that's a great scene. I also love the, I, I also love the ending where he's like they're about to drink, and it's like, what are you doing? You're, you have a uh, uh, there's some reason about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will. Uh, you have a procedure what? tomorrow, and then he starts drinking. It was like I don't have a procedure. Yeah. Well, I that actually got one thing I do like the Wiz version of Cap. Um, this is moving ahead to Age of Ultron. There is one line in particular of Age of Ultron I do not like, and that's when Steve keeps going language, because one thing I liked about this version of him is that they are acknowledging that Captain America was a goddamn soldier. Mm-hmm. Yes, he shoots people. Of course he shot people. He was in World War Two. He was fighting fucking and, super Nazis. Yeah, like and that's the reason. That's the reason I don't like it, the the language bit in in, in Age of Ultron because to me it makes no sense because Captain America is a literal army captain. That means he has access to weapons grade swears. The us us, not, <laughs> us civilians yeah, but, are not allowed to use. Yeah, the greatest generation didn't swear. How dare you? He wasn't in combat until after he had the super serum. So he was never afraid for his own life, the way that <laughs> regular soldiers are. So uh, he never needed uh, that swearing outlet. He just no. he was already all American boy. Uh, Possibly, but if you're telling me that Bucky Barnes does not swear like a chimney, I, I mean, do not the, believe you. The they hadn't invented swear <laughs> words. His nickname was Bucky Barnes. Bucky Barnes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is there is no world where Sebastian Stan is not playing a man who is capable of some truly magnificent swear words. I mean, so, we all know that Bucky is, you know, a boulderized version of what his real name is. <laughs> James Buchanan Barnes? James Buchanan yeah. Barnes. Our, our um, greatest president, James so, Buchanan. I want, um, Greg fucking Fulchino. We've got to hurry this along here. Um, yeah. pa- Patrick, uh, is that your final thought? That's my final thought. All right. So just just to wrap up real quick, uh, my final thought. I really love this movie. Uh, I think it is an enormous amount of fun. I recognize that it is probably objectively, uh, well, certainly objectively, not as good a film as The Winter Soldier is, but it is one that I enjoy quite a bit and one that I also yeah. think shows... 
I mean, as much as I like the Winter Soldier, the the one criticism that I will give to it is I feel like it reflects um, like the, the Winter Soldier is probably the best realization of a Marvel Studios film as processed output. It's a very well put together film, but there's not one major vision behind it. It is a collaborative vision. This, I feel like, has a lot of Joe Johnson in it and mm-hmm. okay. a very a distinctive problem, stamp on it. I don't, I don't think it's a problem in, in any way. And I again, I, this objectively is probably not as good a film as Winter Soldier, but I enjoy it a lot. All right. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's fair. So yeah, I I, uh, I think it's a, a pretty straightforward good film, but I don't think that Captain America becomes an interesting character until he becomes the Man Out of Time. I, so. I think I think he's very interesting in this. I think he is more interesting later. Um, yeah. yeah. Yep. So we we have to wrap up. Um, but I I will say before we go, uh, our next film, guys, this is the big one. This is the one we've been waiting for. It okay. is Returning Heroes. It is a, a film where there is some some avenging going on. It is Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Oh, yes! Oh, my God. Why is it in my mind? I just I assumed that those movies came out like 10 years before the MCU. <laughs> yeah, it really feels that way, doesn't it? Oh, I'm so excited but for no, this. No, oh, it's so good. I think... I now think I'm that's the movie Disney more than still... anything else that that had me agree to do this, this podcast. Is, mm-hmm. I, I want to be clear. That will be the 32nd film we've done. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. God.